Good morning. You're listening to North by Northeast on listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas. This is 88.9 KETR in Commerce. I'm your host, Mark Haslett. Hope that you're having a pleasant morning with all of this cold and rain. As we just heard on the weather forecast, uh, autumn returns Sunday after two days of winter. This morning, we have a very interesting program in store for you. Northeast Texas is not a typical part of the Lone Star State. Demographically, we have lower income and lower education levels compared to the state averages. We also trend more African-American and less Hispanic than the statistical average in Texas communities. But Texas A&M University Commerce continues to increase its Hispanic student enrollment. In fact, the university continues its ongoing efforts to become a Hispanic-serving institution. Now, intuitively, you might not understand what that means because, of course, the university serves Hispanic students, faculty, and staff. It serves everybody. But Hispanic-serving institution is a statistical category. And should the university uh, eventually satisfy the criteria for that category, it would then be eligible uh, for uh, certain considerations that it isn't currently eligible for now. So here to explain the where's and why for's of all of these institutional topics, uh, we have someone who's been involved in the university's efforts uh, for quite some time. It's Dr. Fred Fuentes. He is the executive director of enrollment management and uh, also uh, transfer student initiatives and student diversity and inclusion, uh, a very lengthy job title for uh, Dr. Fuentes here. And uh, to help us out also, we have uh, Gina Segura. She's coordinator of campus visits, but like a lot of folks at A&M Commerce, she has many, many duties that are woven into her primary job duties. So thank you and good morning and welcome to North by Northeast. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to begin with Dr. Fuentes because the first thing we need to do is to kind of set the table and explain what we mean by Hispanic serving institution, who is the entity outside A&M Commerce that would be deciding whether or not we qualify for this and uh, what, what does it mean? What, what percentage of student enrollment and, and all of that stuff? Yeah, thank you, and, and welcome everyone to the show. Uh, so for the last 12 years, our university has been working uh, diligently to become an HSI. We recognize that um, this federal designation would be beneficial for our students, for our staff, for our faculty. Um, and what that means exactly is, you know, HSI, Hispanic Serving Institution, that means that 25% uh, at least of your undergraduate uh, population self-identifies as Hispanic or Latino. And so currently at our university, actually, and I'll go back to 2008, those numbers were uh, under 10%. So it's about 9.7% uh, of our students who self-identified as Hispanic or Latino. Uh, so we started tracking those numbers and, 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 and seeing what was happening throughout the state and throughout the United States on that, on that specific uh, population growth. So we provided an office uh, in 2008 um, to to support those efforts, uh, and and we have, and so where we're at now is a university that continues, uh, as as you said, Mr. Haslett, to 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 provide services and support for all students with a specific concentration in this federal designation of HSI. Um, so that 25% were really close. In fact, uh, 20th day, uh, we were able to report um, that. Uh, for the first time in our university's 
130-year history, uh, we are a, a Hispanic uh, population is, is the majority minority population on our campus uh, with 22.3% of that university uh, population being represented. So uh, so this is a federal designation. It is, yes, sir. So what happens should A&M Commerce achieve this threshold of 25% Hispanic student enrollment? Right. So you're um, provided with opportunities. The, the, really, the, the big one is is opportunities for additional funding, for federal funding. Uh, so our students, again, staff and faculty would all benefit. It, it's, it doesn't matter what you're, how you self-identify as far as race and ethnicity go. Uh, it really is uh, access to, to more funding. And so these fundings can be used for all students. So would the, would the funding be earmarked in any way, or would it be just kind of a here you go they, situation? Well, they vary. They vary based on um, the uh, the institution and the and the uh, type of of, uh, of federal aid. But for the most part, you're talking about aid that would be beneficial to all students. Um, and so we're excited about that. We're excited about one recognizing that there is growth happening in our community, and we are addressing that growth. We're actually providing opportunities for students to excel at our university. So oftentimes, uh, those of us who work in the Hispanic serving institution uh, component inside of things, we really talk about the service side and ensuring that we're not only monitoring the, the that growth, but we're ensuring that our students are successful on our campus. And I know that you look around, uh, you know, North Texas and, and throughout, there are institutions doing a phenomenal job. A&M Commerce is definitely uh, at the top of that list, providing tremendous resources for our students, all students, but a, spe- a special focus in our Hispanic students, given that tremendous growth over the last 12 years. So, Bringing uh, bringing Gina Segura uh, onto the program. She's not a doctor yet. She's working on it. <laughs> yeah. um, bringing uh, Gina on this morning was your idea. So before uh, we speak with Gina, if you could kind of explain uh, why you thought that Gina would be helpful yeah. to uh, this conversation. You know, Gina is a new member of our team. She came to our university only a few months ago. Um, in that in that time. Um, speaking to my colleagues uh they were really excited about bringing her on and so we met her we're equally as excited you see her engagement with students the presence she has on our campus in in such a short time and really the ability is is for us she and i talk uh when we talk it's about uh really interrupting normal understandings of what a uh uh perceived latino is looks like uh, what we eat what we how we dance and the music we listen to and so what i really appreciate about uh Gina is her ability to, to convey the diversity that is um this population and so that's that's her one of uh, aside from her tremendous work uh, just the ability to share that and represent a a group here on campus it's not often represented so Gina, uh, the job title coordinator of campus visits, uh, perhaps people don't really know what that means. So if you could kind of explain what you do uh, on the campus of Texas A&M University Commerce. Absolutely. Uh, before I go into that, I want to thank you all for having me. Um, it is definitely an honor to be able to represent um, what it means to be um, an Afro-Latina or what it means to be Latino or Hispanic. And so I am really 
glad and grateful to be here this morning. Um, so in my role, I coordinate campus visits on a weekly on a weekday basis. So from Monday through Fridays at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., we host campus tours. I do an admissions presentation 30 minutes before the tour begins. Then the line ambassadors, who are our tour guides, uh, proceed to do a an hour tour around campus. Um, I also assist with coordinating visits from elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We've had some groups come out from Oklahoma um, and all over, really, Texas um, to come out and see our campus and see what all we have to offer and just experience being on a college campus. What kind of questions do they have on those visits? Are there any amusing moments or unexpected moments <laughs> during those tours? Yes, absolutely. Every, every day is really an adventure. Um, I had a a guest that came in yesterday and um, they were saying that they'd heard that um, if you had a disability, you were not going to be admitted into a college campus. And this was a actually a Hispanic um, family that came by. And um, I was really astonished because I were, especially here in America, it's all equal opportunity for everyone and anyone. And so um, for them to have this perception that they were not going to be admitted because they had this disability, it was really disheartening. And so um, it was an opportunity for me to really let them know of the resources that we had, of the support people or the support, the supporting services that we had here to assist them with that process. And it really allowed me to see and remind me of what it is, why it is that I do what I do on a daily basis. So that's one thing. Um, a lot of times students are wondering, oh, wow, we can live in the same hall as other uh, as other guys or other girls. That must be fun. And so um, it, it's just interesting to see the, the change from high school to, to being on a college campus and being able to interact in different ways. What, what sort of, when you go into DFW or go out to some little towns uh, for these visits, what are the criteria used for choosing where you go to visit? How do you select which schools are schools that are worthy uh, of a visit? Yeah, so really in my role, I we host groups here on our campus. I don't necessarily go out in into different high schools. Um, they come out and reach out to us in regards to coming to visit our campus. And so I, I assist with putting together an agenda. So for example, we do a 30-minute admissions presentation for them. And afterwards, they go to lunch at around 11 a.m. Then around noon they go on that campus tour and then they go visit the residence halls here on campus and um, just have the opportunity to be around other college students so I don't really I, I try not to say no when we have requests of different schools coming out to say hey we want to visit your campus I always just allow them to come because I do want people from all over um, the world to come and be admitted into a Commerce. So this is a question that either of y'all or both can field if you like but is it a tough sell sometimes to get a Hispanic student to come to A&M Commerce? Say they're from somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. They're used to having a very rich and lively mm -hmm. uh, culture around them that reflects their culture at home. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they grew up or live in a neighborhood where lots of the people in their neighborhood are very similar to the people in their home and their family. And so you're like, oh, come on to Ann and Commerce. It's great. It's wonderful. It's it's you get to be in the country where it's quiet and chilled out. But if you want to go down to DFW, you can if you feel like it. Uh, the academics are great. People are friendly. And they're like, yeah, but 
it's not even slightly Hispanic up there. And we know that's not true. But just based on appearances, yeah. you roll into commerce. It you might you see a couple of Tex Mex restaurants, yeah. but it's not like being in Old East Dallas or West Dallas or something like that. So how what do you what do you say to him? If I could, uh, so yeah, we actually have the opportunity to engage with lots of families who are on the road uh, throughout the region, not just the Dallas area, but um, particularly in, in the Dallas area. Uh, you bring up a great point. You know, um, families want to know if they've ever been out here. What's it like? What's life like in, in this community? And what I often tell them is, it's you know, I, I let them know distance wise. You're about sixty miles, right? So you're a good hour away from downtown Dallas. Um, so it's it's just far enough to where if your parents wanted to visit you, they'd have to call. They have to check in first. So you have that sense of privacy, right? But also one hour away, it's close enough to where if you ever felt like you needed to get down there and it was an emergency or, or if you wanted to attend one of our uh, sporting events or academic events, it's only one hour away. We know that uh, driving from West Dallas to East Dallas in a, in a good traffic could, could take an hour as well. And so I let them know that fact is that um, you have the privacy if you need it, but you also have the access if you need it. Um, as the cost effective part, you know, so they come on our campus and they realize this is a tremendous opportunity for them on the culture side. Certainly everyone comes and says, you know, what's, what, what is, are there anything that, you know, we can do is there, there are other staff members, faculty members, and they start as they start to engage, you know, they'll realize that, um, from the very beginning, from our bilingual, uh, uh, orientation sessions to our main event orientation, uh, opportunities to, to, to preview our university, we provide that bilingual opportunity. In fact, every time we've had a bilingual session, our university president, provost attends often, but our university president is always there to welcome families. And so you start to see from the very beginning, the culture, uh, happening on our campus and, and for, you know, traditionally marginalized populations, uh, people of color, family is the big uh, impact. That's that's really where we feel connected. And so, when you come to our campus and you see, again, the the the, the vice president for enrollment management, or you see the university president and provost and all the deans engage with students, it goes a long way for our families. And so, um, they are also exposed, I think, to just enough diversity here. Where when they go back to their to the community they choose to work, they're going to be working for a diverse group of individuals. And, you know, their staff that they manage one day will be a diverse group of individuals. So we don't want to isolate them to to think that it's only a, a Hispanic or Latino um, university. Anyway, we have just enough diversity with all the other um, race, ethnicities, and genders to provide what we think is a real world experience uh, to prepare prepare them for. Um, uh, for work uh, in, in the future. Yes, and um, during that admissions presentation, I always like to tell students that um, we're a bit shy of 13,000 students here on our campus, and so you are able to see a lot of familiar faces as you walk around campus or as you um, go into your classes and things like that because we're not that big. And so um, that family feel, back to what a lot of Hispanic or Latino students are searching for, is definitely here, um, along with our affinity groups. So we have the Latino American Mentorship Program. We also have Mujeres en Acción. We have the African American 
American Mentorship Program and also and also Sister to Sister. And so these are some some opportunities for students to really feel like they have other people to connect with or other groups that they can go back with and debrief about their experiences. And so um, I think that that's also an opportunity for us to let students know that there is a place for them here and there is a place for them to um, or people to, that are here to support them. We are going to open up the phones here on North by Northeast. I uh, neglected to say at the top of the program that this is just like all the other live shows that we do where the uh, phones are open for calls. There was a uh, one uh, professor that we wanted to have in here, and uh, he's down in Rockwall. Uh, we know some of our faculty and staff live in Rockwall, and that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> maybe for a future program. Uh, but uh, Dr. Rodriguez, uh, what was his first Dr. name? Dr. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez, uh, if you're out there, we haven't forgotten you. And the number to call in to North by Northeast. And by the way, anybody's welcome to call and join the conversation. It's 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. We'll be giving that number uh, again this hour just so folks uh, can have a chance to write that number down and uh, join our conversation. It's North by Northeast on KETR. We're going to be here until 10 a.m. Our guests this morning are Dr. Fred Fuentes. He's Executive Director of Enrollment Management, also uh, Transfer Student Initiatives and Student Diversity and Inclusion at Texas A&M University Commerce. And also in with us today is Gina Segura. She's Coordinator of Campus Visits at A&M Commerce. And the topic is Hispanic Enrollment in the Hispanic Experience at uh, this university, and we have a diversity of words and cultures that fall under the Hispanic umbrella. It's I don't want to get too bogged down in the language because that's the thing that always drives everybody crazy. Right. Whenever yeah. you start talking about identity issues, yeah. uh, you get to the point where you're so focused on the language you forget about the people. And I don't sure. want to I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. But just in this room, we have an example of different Hispanic identities and heritage because Dr. Fuentes, you are Mexican American. You come from South Texas correct? Yes. and your family has been on this side of the border for quite some time. That's right. Six generations, six generation Texan. That's right. Right here in this room. So he's Hispanic and, uh, Ms. Segura, you're Hispanic, mm-hmm. and you are Afro-Latina. Yes, uh, from Colombia. We were we were talking mm-hmm. uh, a little bit uh, before the program. You came to the United States when you were six, mm-hmm. so that is Hispanic too. And yes. so I'm sure that talking to people in Texas, where we associate Hispanic identity with Chicano and Mexico, uh, that mm-hmm. when you say you're Hispanic. They, they, you get the confused dog, like, you know, the, the sideways but you're head. Black. You're right. <laughs> it's like, but you're black. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's not mutually ex- exclusive. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you, I mean, uh, how do you engage that? Yeah, I always look at it as an educational moment. Um, and I like to let them know, I don't know if any, everyone's aware, but Colombians are very proud of being Colombian. And so um, I always take that moment to say, well, I was born in Colombia. Um, and it's not just about the cartels and um, all of these negative things people think about whenever they think about Colombia. I'm, I'm, I always let them know we have great coffee. Um, we have great food, empanadas, arepas. And so um, I let them know that part. And I also say, well, the way that the slave trade happened, um, there were a lot of boats that actually landed in South America and Latin America where um, they're, they're, that's how the Afro 
Latinos or um, Afro-Caribbeans kind of came about. And so um, at that moment, they're like, okay, okay, I see you mentioned slavery. So that kind of makes sense. And then I let them know uh, that's where also Spaniards and all of these different things happen in those countries. And so um, that's how we were able to attain the language of Spanish. And so after a while, they'll start to kind of understand. And then if I let them know that I was born there and there's that that gives me some kind of quote unquote credibility um, because then they understand that the language can be carried. You know, and and also in this, in this hemisphere, in the Western hemisphere, you're talking about over 100 million Afro Latinos. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're talking about a population that is not often um, highlighted Mm -hmm. in in those uh, host countries, uh, you know, brochures and and, and marketing campaigns. Um, As if you travel through Latin America, you start seeing the the amazing um, diversity. Um, But you won't see that, let's say, in a novella. You won't Mm -hmm. see that in a news program. Mm -hmm. You see what tends to be a um, more American, if you will, looking uh, representative of those Latin American countries. So it, it's a conversation we have all the time about uh, the diversity of being Latino, even within Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. Right. There's uh, there's a uh, people can make presumptions based on your appearance, and that does not always line up with reality. For some reason, in, in the United States, we we don't have any problem accepting baseball players. Mm-hmm. As Afro Latino, that doesn't. Right. We're just like, oh, there's Vlad Guerrero, and right. he's mm-hmm. obviously a black guy, right. and that's right. you know not weird at all. But then, as soon as you take it out of baseball mm-hmm. <laughs> and get it into like normal everyday life, all Correct. of a sudden people kind of have a, they're like, oh, well, you speak Spanish so well. It's like, well, yeah, it's my first language. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> well, and then also educating them about someone like myself. So I'm sixth generation American, right? So we did not grow up speaking Spanish. I learned Spanish as an adult when I was in the military. So as a young person. Maybe we had access to 10, 10 or 15 words total Spanish. We certainly did not construct sentences mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in Espanol. Um, that came later on in life for me. And so educating individuals uh, about that fact as well is based on my last name and maybe even how I look to them. Uh, there are assumptions that I would uh, or would not speak specific languages. And in fact... You see this, uh, particularly in South Texas, and so Austin and below Central and South Texas, um, uh, we're not, we don't tend to be first generation. We're fourth, fifth, and sixth generation, um, and it's not until we moved out to North Texas that we realized the uh, tremendous uh, uh, first and second generation populations and how they change the culture of this region as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, those presumptions that they, you speak, you, you're Hispanic looking, so you must speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's not always the case. And, and Gina gets the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you speak Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> so yes. we're here to educate everyone, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and these, these are some of the things that students learn in college. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic because yeah. nobody is born knowing this stuff. If this is outside of your experience and it's not in your education in high school and it's nothing you picked up at home or it's nothing you picked up on the uh, in your media that you consume when you're growing up in high school, then you come to a college campus like this and this is part of the education. So, you know, we're not trying to be dismissive of people who aren't Certainly aware of not. all of this stuff because, again, everybody has to learn it at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what you're here for. The colleges, you're here to learn. And you're here to you. 
if you're not learning as much outside of your classes as you are in your classes, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And and I would even add to that, um, that we love the engagement piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gina and I, and so many of our colleagues, um, you know, staff and faculty members of color, we love to engage with others and to educate them. Um, it, it, I think we're better off when we're communicating Mm -hmm. on, on any subject. And so, um, you can make assumptions about any person, right? And so as I start talking to my colleague, Gina here, I've learned so much about her in the last few months that she's, she's been here that, that had I not, had I just gone off assumptions, I would never know any of this stuff or you or, or anyone else uh, for that matter. So we always uh, encourage individuals that if you have questions, please, you know, engage with, with a, with a colleague and, and have those conversations, whether over coffee or, or lunch, we'll always take lunch. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all always open to that, yes. but we definitely love the opportunity to uh, provide that education and to be educated as well. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, so it wasn't until I got to college that I really started discovering my identity and coming about to identifying as Afro-Latina. And so I do encourage students that are out there that are listening, anyone to go out to college and educate themselves because this is where you meet people from all over the world, all over the walks of life, and Absolutely. really learn what where they come from and um, all of the different identities and cultures and just languages and everything that, that they carry. And so... Um, Definitely was not until I got to college and really um, I met, there was a speaker, um, a diversity and inclusion speaker. Her name is Rosa Clemente, and she identified as Afro-Latina. And after that, I was, I started to think to myself, wow, I, I think that's me. <laughs> um, that she's, she's black, but she also speaks Spanish. And so I said, okay, maybe I need to start doing some more self-discovery and self-exploration. And so um, definitely there's different opportunities for you to kind of do your own search and, and, and figure out more about yourself. We're going to remind everybody that the phones are open, 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. Dr. Robert Rodriguez, where'd you go? He's out there somewhere. But even if your name is not Robert Rodriguez, we encourage you. Call. <laughs> yeah, we encourage you to call in and join the conversation, 800-882-5387. It's North by Northeast. We will be back with more from Dr. Fred Fuentes and Gina Segura. Stick around. It's North by Northeast on 88.9 KETR. You're listening to North by Northeast on 88.9 KETR in Commerce. And uh, we're waiting on our first call of the program. We hope that we eventually hear from Dr. Robert Rodriguez. He said he'd call. The number is 800-882-5387. That's 800 882 K-E-T-R. My name's Mark Haslett. I'm the host of this program. This morning, we are visiting with a number of folks from the community of Texas A&M University Commerce, and the topic is Hispanic life at A&M Commerce. Dr. Fred Fuentes is around here somewhere. Uh, Gina Segura, the uh, coordinator of Campus Visits, is right here. And also, we're joined by a couple of undergraduates this hour, uh, and we'd like to encourage you to kind of uh, get in close to the mic when you're talking so we hear you. We've got Naeli Fuentes here yes and Naeli uh, you're from Mount Pleasant you're a senior and you have a mildly astonishing academic <laughs> resume you're just uh, finishing up a major in chemistry biology and math and you have been accepted to med school at Texas Tech I have yes well thank you and thank welcome you. to the program thank you for having me and uh, of course of course and uh, Brian DeConte 
yes, uh, is in here, and Brian's a senior. And uh, I, I'm sorry, we had to uh, we had to go in and go live when we were uh, talking and figuring out what your major is. So you're just gonna have to tell us on the air. What are you majoring in? Uh, I'm doing business administration with a minor in international business. Okay, international business. And Brian is from Guadalajara. Yes, sir. Atlas. Okay. Atlas, and he's for Atlas. We were talking off the break. Uh, he's from Guadalajara. There's two big soccer teams in Guadalajara. You've got Chivas, which is the one that most people know about, and then Atlas, which is the other Guadalajara team. And it's kind of like the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Chivas get all the glory, but the real, <laughs> the real loyal fans, the loyal soccer supporters of Atlas, uh, stand by their club. And so he's he is a true Tapatio. Uh, if you're uh, if you're from Guadalajara and you like Atlas, then 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 you're the real deal. So uh, Brian and Naeli, tell me a little bit about uh, why you chose A and M Commerce. And I guess we'll start with Naeli. So tell me why you chose to come to this university. Yeah. So it was late in my senior year of high school. I think it was February, and Dr. Fred went to visit uh, my high school, and he just like called me in and we were talking and then he was like you have great grades like you're a great person and you have my last name like come to commerce so right we should have um, pointed out no relation right, no relation at yeah. all but uh and so he was very charismatic and very helpful and so he scheduled like a, a whole like a meeting with my family to come here and like get a whole tour of the university and meet with like the dean and everything so it was just I realized that commerce cared not only about me but about my entire family and and were very focused on helping me succeed both financially and like throughout my education to get me to the next point. Um, so that's what like convinced me like meeting him and uh, Dr. Hendricks at the time who was vice president here. So it was just a really like eye opening experience where I had visited other universities and they hadn't cared that much uh, about my family as a whole, which is very very important to me. And uh, Brian, uh, a little bit of a longer journey for you. Naeli uh, just came down the interstate from Mount Pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's all the way from uh, Jalisco in uh, west central Mexico. So uh, when you were first, I guess it's two parts to this question. First part would be, why did you decide to go to college in the United States? And then the second part, out of the universities in the U.S. that you could have gone to, uh, why did you decide to come here? Yeah, so uh, my dad's always been a welder. Um, he res he's a resident over there in Terrell, Terrell, Texas, which is about 40 minutes away from here. Um, and my mom, uh, she actually took the decision for me to come out here because I was already kind of fluent in, sp in English while I was in Mexico. Um, She's seen that my academics were pretty good. Um, so she wanted to give me the opportunity to come out uh, with my dad and uh, further my education. Um, I decided to take that decision. We came out back in 2013. Um, Thankfully uh, to her, because I had no intentions, honestly, once uh, I did two years in high school, uh, in Terra High School, and I had no intentions of going to college, you know, it was really difficult when I first arrived, uh, adapting to this new environment, to this new place. Um, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere better than home, you know. Um, so I've missed all my friends, uh, my family, uh, the place where I was living at. Being from Guadalajara, being one of the biggest cities in Mexico, come to Terra, which is a really small town, it was a big difference. But um, she actually knew Dr. Fuentes, uh, who was the initial guy to uh, inspire me and give me that opportunity uh, that there is available. There is availability for me to attend to college. You know, a lot of times my professors back in high school and my uh, fellow classmates would tell me, nah, dude, you're going to pay a lot of money. You're going to be in big theft. Um, so I didn't really 
uh, see that opportunity there for me. Uh, if it wasn't for my mom bringing me out to Commerce, um, because it was the most nearest the university around, um, I probably would not have been here today. Um, and I owe it all to Dr. Fuentes and uh, Julian Sanchez as well. Uh, Julian Sanchez, now what does Julian do? Uh, Julian Sanchez was actually here at the university. He was in charge of the Latino American Mentorship Program. He's actually a, the founder as well. Um, now he uh, works at the University of Arlington, um, but he was also one of the facilitators that helped me kind of get through the motions of my first steps in college. So what what has it been like for y'all um, as uh, Hispanic students on campus? I mean, obviously, it's not like uh, it's that unusual. It, it's, you know, a pretty large percentage of the uh, student body at this point. But still, at the same time, y'all be running into lots of folks who have not had a whole lot of experience uh, with uh, having Hispanic classmates. So, and we'll let both of y'all speak to that. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it's definitely been uh, a tough experience, I would say. And on top of being Hispanic, you know, we're first generation. So that adds on to, mm-hmm. to our experience. So, being Hispanic, uh, I was just telling Brian, like, I'll tell people, like, oh, like, I'm going to medical school. And they're like, oh, to be a nurse, right? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no. And then I see other of my classmates who aren't my skin color. And before they even say a word, like, they're like, oh, you're going to be a doctor. So living through that and knowing, like, well, why do they assume that he can be a doctor? And then they label me automatically as a nurse, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like that's one of many that I've sort of been commented on and so it's kind of tough and then again going back to being first generation just constantly reaching out and sometimes getting back no we're sorry to let you know and sometimes congratulations you've received this and just you know celebrating that and uh, I think it's like I said it's been very difficult but having the support system both here at Commerce and back at home with my family um, who've served as my motivation since day one it's helped me not give up and and use those negative comments as my motivation. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a challenge, but th- these are challenges that uh, aren't unachievable. I think it's something that uh, we've been able to find uh, loopholes, I guess we can say, around this. So one of my experiences that I um, want to tell you all about would be whenever I got my position as uh, vice president for student government, um, I was elected by the student body, and when elected, uh, the following week, I was told that I had to drop the position because of uh, my legal status, because it was a paid position. I could not uh, take over due to my legal status. But um, after going out, looking for resources, speaking to other colleagues, people that uh, really had answers for me, um, I was able to turn this into a scholarship. So not only did I... Um, break a barrier for myself this challenge but for others because now i can share this experience with all of my other friends that are facing the same challenges so it has been challengeful uh but like i said it's something that we can definitely achieve i think uh whenever you're really motivated and you want to you want something you can really get it we're speaking with uh all kinds of folks random commerce we got a full house here and in fact Dr. Fuentes is still there. He's he's behind a massive screen, so I can't really see him. But uh, Dr. Fred Fuentes, Executive Director of Enrollment Management and Transfer Student Initiatives and Student Diversity and Inclusion, he's here. Gina Segura, the Coordinator of Campus Visits, 
is in here and we have a couple of undergraduates they're seniors they they have had a successful experience at A&M Commerce Naeli Fuentes from Mount Pleasant she's a senior chem bio and math major and Brian DeConte uh, all the way from Guadalajara Mexico he's a senior uh, majoring in uh, business management and international business and so Brian, did you ever get any pushback from people who, if you tell them that you're Mexican, because like there's this thing in Texas where people who are like Dr. Fuentes' family, who've been here for generations and generations, they would be called Mexicans, right? And so it became to where it was like this impolite word, you know, almost yeah. like a slur. But then if someone appears from Mexico, it's like, no, I, I actually am Mexican. It's okay. So, I mean, have you ever run into no, that dynamic? No, yeah. And you, you'll be surprised because, you know, a lot of times when I, this, uh, when I arrived here is the first time I heard the Latinx uh, term as well as um, Chicano and things like this. And I, I really can't relate those. I, I honestly, when someone asks me, I'm Mexican, I'm right. Hispanic, you know, like this is who I am. And there's, there's nothing to feel bad about because some people really is like, oh, I don't know how to word it, but uh, do you know, what, 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 what are you, you know? And I'm like, dude, it's fine. I'm, I'm Mexican, you know, I come from Mexico. It's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, people really, really get surprised that, from that, uh, that I agree with that, you know, and I, I really don't, even though these terms exist, I really don't uh, take them in mind, you know, for me, it's just, I'm fully Mexican, I come from Mexico, and that's who I am. Right, just just to clarify for listeners, uh, Chicana, Chicano, it refers to people who are born in the United States, who have a Mexican heritage, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a word that refers to people who live within the intersection of those two cultures, whether they're first generation, like Naeli, or whether they've been here for a long, long, long time, like Dr. Fuentes' family, or you're still Chicana or Chicana. So um, if you were talking to some of the folks that you know from Mount Pleasant, Naeli, mm -hmm. and you would... And they were like, eh, I don't know about A&M Commerce. How, how would you encourage them to consider the university here? I think by uh, coming and visiting it and truly like figuring out what the resources are here, which I think are very unique when compared to others, like having the Hispanic Outreach Office or having the Office of Intercultural Engagement and Leadership, offices like that, that don't just, you know, they just don't state, you know, we have whatever much percentage of Latino, they actually do like help us through it all. And so especially with minority students or first gens, I would tell them like commerce is a place that'll help you and just come give it a, you know, give it a shot. And if it, if, if it doesn't feel like home and not, then that's okay. You know, but uh, I think being close to home help because it's the right amount. I think of distance, it's only an hour away. So if anything happens, my family can come and future families can come uh, to help and if not like if you don't want mom and dad coming like they you know it's an hour away so uh, I would tell them the high schools that like it's very important I think to have a support system at the university and commerce provides that on top of being you know preparing you academically as well yeah that's it's kind of and of course you're talking about an hour away the mm -hmm. other direction frequently yes. <laughs> people talk being an hour away from yeah. Dallas but we're also an hour away from Mount Pleasant mm -hmm. on I-30 and so uh, now, Brian, you've got a, a very different situation where, of course, you know people in Terrell, but you also know people back in Guadalajara. So uh, when you're uh, on the phone or Skyping or messaging or whatever it is, however you communicate with folks back in Mexico and they're 
asking you, well, what, what's college like in the United States? You know, tell me what's it like, because they have this image from media and maybe that's correct, but maybe it's also not what you're experiencing. So what do you tell them? Yeah, you know, uh, so whenever I speak to my friends, I tend to let them know how I'm doing personally um, here at the university and how I'm being treated. I think that's one of the most common questions I get from my friends. Hey, uh, have you gotten any, like, like bad faces or, like, is it comfortable there where you are? Um, how is it? Because I do have some friends that do want to come over and uh, study after they see all these pictures that I'm taking of me traveling, of me doing all these great things, you know, uh, with my student organizations. They're like, Yes, I, I want that opportunity. Back in Mexico, it's a little bit more difficult. You have a lot of a lot of students that want to go to school, but it's really competitive. There's only a certain amount of students that get accepted. If you don't get accepted, you got to wait till the following year. So it's like time being lost. You know, um, it's a big it's a big country. It's a big place. Um, so it's it's really difficult, and that's why they look for ways to come over to the U.S. So my answer is always, Hey, man. It's a really great place. They have benefits here for us. Um, it's not like you're walking in a blind side. And uh, as Nayeli mentioned, a lot of us that come uh, do come over, are, we're first generations. Um, so it, I believe it takes that first student to kind of go through the motions. And then uh, we can help them as a resource now to get through uh, college. But um, I've always had a great experience. So I tend to tell my friends, you know, it's, it's great here in college, you know, and I love it. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever taken. You know, I'll, I'll add to that, you know, both of these individuals, these students, I saw them, you know, when, when they were in high school transitioning, was able to meet with their families and, and they're extremely exceptional. Uh, they were exceptional in high school and they're exceptional at the university. And, and, and the reason is because they have dedicated so much time to their academics um, and, and their student organization. So, so Brian was a founding student member of the Latino American Mentorship Program, a uh, phenomenal group. And, and as, as my colleague earlier stated, you know, there are four groups on campus, the African American Male Mentorship Program, the Latino American Mentorship Program, Sister to Sister, and Mujeres Acción. And so all these groups help first-generation students connect. And, and uh, Nayeli mentioned the you know, the Office of uh, Intercultural Engagement and Leadership, they're doing a phenomenal job of providing that cultural component to our students it's, that's, that's absolutely needed. So we're addressing the academics, the cultural side, and f- making them feel connected at our university, and then allowing them to do their thing. And their thing is being exceptional students, and that's why she got into medical school, and that's why we celebrate that. That's why Brian will graduate and, and go on and have a very successful career. And for us at the university, that means that one day they may come back as mentors. They may come back as as uh, speakers or, or donors to our university because um, because of the experiences they had at our university. It's that critical that they have that, that opportunity here. Uh, Dr. Fuentes and anybody else can talk about this if they want to, of course, but uh, what are the challenges we face with retention here? Because uh, that's a big issue for universities like this one that have a lot of uh, first-generation college students, not first-generation Americans, but people who are the first person from their family to attend college. So uh, what, what are the challenges for retention and how do you engage those challenges, not just with Hispanic students, but everybody, because obviously those two issues uh, dovetail in with one another because lots of Hispanic students are first-generation college students also. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit, and then I'm sure that uh, Brian and Ellie will be able to finish that, that thought up. But for us, we know that nationwide the retention rate is not great. Uh, at universities, they're not bragging about how many students they're keeping from that freshman and sophomore year. Um, 
it's a difficult one, uh, but it's happening nationwide. At our university a few years ago, uh, we started the African-American Male Mentorship Program. And the, the idea was to provide the mentorship component for men of color. The next year, we started the Latino-American Mentorship Program. And these programs are open to all students, to all diver, uh, diverse populations. Uh, and, 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 and what we get to brag about that uh, on those groups is that while normally at the university you're talking about a you know, uh, retention rate that's, that's not something we'd brag about, in these programs, it's more than 90% of our students who participate in these uh, residential living and learning uh, communities will be retained, will graduate on time, will graduate with low debt or no debt. And that's important. It's important to start their career um, with not having exaggerated debt, but more importantly, to feel connected to the university that's provided these resources. And so we like to think that it's not just staff engagement and faculty engagement, but it's being thoughtful, uh, our university providing the resources for these programs to continue. And that's why these students are being successful. That's how we address the retention issue. Uh, because we could put all of our money all day long on the recruitment, but if we're not retaining them, that's that's a lot of money lost. So we, what, we, what we realize is that recruiting phenomenal students and retaining phenomenal students, the end result is graduating phenomenal students. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I think again, um, as myself being part of a low income, the low income class, that's a big part of it, going in depth and not wanting our parents to be more burdened because, you know, I have five siblings and only my dad works. Uh, so it's it's hard. And so finding those the right scholarships, the right people to guide you along the way. And so my first year was amazing because I built this great relationship with Miss Crystal Hardiman Ekem, who's the director of office of IEL. And so I never considered leaving. And partly that was because, you know, the university funded me enough to where I wasn't struggling financially. And secondly, because I did build that relationship with her and and she motivated me and and helped me through the process and still does to this day, as well as Dr. Fred. So I think making those relationships with people are a big factor when when you're here as a freshman. Yeah, uh, whenever I was serving as student government, I did see that uh, unbalance on retention is one of the same reasons why I applied to be a Lion Ambassador on, my, on our campus, um, because I know that it does take a lot for a student to stay in school, you know, mostly whenever you're far from home. Uh, as Nayeli said, whenever uh, depth tends to be one of the most difficult uh, parts of it. But another thing I would say would be the involvement, inviting a student out. Um, you know, we can sit all day in our atrium and the crossroads and all of these places where we promote and advertise. But if we don't go out to the student and try to speak on a one-on-one conversation rather than sending an invitation to, uh, via Twitter or via Facebook, um, there's not going to be that that impactful engagement that you that you're looking for to pull them in. Because I will tell you that before me coming to A and M Commerce, I applied for student government uh, back at home. And ever since I was in, I was in. I was bought in. I wanted to do more. I wanted to reach for higher positions. I wanted to do. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. I've seen all of these great opportunities. So I think it's having that impactful engagement one on one with the student and bringing him in, inviting him, and fitting him to wherever he wished to be at. We have been visiting with Dr. Fred Fuentes, uh, Executive Director of Enrollment Management, and all kinds of other stuff. 
here at A&M Commerce. He's got a real long job title. Uh, also, uh, we didn't hear a whole lot from her this last half hour, but we're happy to have hosted uh, Gina Segura, uh, who's the coordinator of campus visits. Hasn't been here all that long, but Dr. Fuentes and others told me she's already off to a great start. Amazing. So thank you very much, Gina. It's been fun having you. And we're particularly pleased to uh, have a couple of uh, undergraduates here. Nayeli Fuentes is from Mount Pleasant. She's a senior majoring in chemistry, biology, and math. She's recently been accepted to Texas Tech University's med school in Lubbock. So you're going to get out of the humidity. I am. Hope you're ready for lots of red dust. The red (laughs) dust is headed your way. And then uh, Brian DeConte, who's a senior major in business management and international business. Uh, He's from Guadalajara. And he is—he's not a—he's not a Chivas guy. He's—he's he's an <laughs> Atlas guy. Arriba los zorros. Arriba los zorros. <laughs> All right, and uh, and and of course, uh, our producer in there, Jared Knight pushing all the buttons, turning dials, making stuff happen on the radio. We'll have this posted later at ktr.org for family who are listening yeah, and anybody else. This will be up. Shout out to my dad uh, and sh- Diamond C team. <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to uh, Daddy Fuentes. No relation to Dr. Fred. <laughs> no. the well, then shout out to my kids, the, the Fuentes <laughs> right. children. Yeah. No. Shout out to everybody. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. You're with listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas. This is 88.9 KETR. <laughs>